There are markets like Modesto, California, Kalamazoo, Michigan, or Springfield, Massachusetts that are actually anticipated to see a decline in housing prices in 2022. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Actively Passive Investing Show. I'm your host, Travis Watts. And in today's episode, we're talking about investing in the everything bubble. So a headline you may have seen, may have heard here recently, a lot of folks are calling today's investing environment an everything bubble. Debatable if we are in a bubble, but we're going to talk about it and we're going to talk more specifically about the stock market and real estate, dissect what's happening, and hopefully this is informative to help you make a decision on what you want to do this year in terms of your own investments. So prices are up. I think that's pretty evident. Inflation is here. Used cars are up. Real estate is up. So where do you place money? Generally speaking, there's two ways of thought here, two schools of thought. There's, I'm going to wait this one out until we get a massive correction, pullback, or a dip, and then I'm going to buy in at that point. Or there's the dollar cost average philosophy, which is you're buying in on a regular frequency all the time, and sometimes you're buying in a dip, and sometimes you're buying at a high price, but over time, you're averaging out and getting kind of the middle of the road general pricing. And I've shared this story before, but it's worth sharing again in this episode. And that is when I started investing in multifamily syndications around 2015, one of the first things I did is I started reaching out to the experts in the field, people who had 10, 20, 30, 40 year track records doing what it is I was thinking about doing. And there was a syndicator, a general partner with about 25 years experience at that time. And I was talking to him about multifamily. I said, please put me on your deal list. I really want to do a deal with you. I'm into this. I've read this, that, and the other. And he goes, listen, Travis, he said, unfortunately, it's 2015. He said, I predict that 2016, we're going to see one of the biggest market meltdowns that we've seen in history. And he said, quite frankly, we're not doing any new deals right now. So I'll put you on our list, but don't expect to see anything because we're really liquidating assets right now and we're not bringing anything new in. We're going to sit, wait and see. And that was one philosophy. And I'm certainly not insinuating in this example that I'm any smarter than this individual. I mean, this guy's got at that point a hundred percent more experience and track record than I had. But what was different was my philosophy. I was of the mindset that there's always a deal to be had. And this was stemming from my single family flipping, buy and hold, vacation rental days, where I thought even if there were a downturn or the market went flat for a while, if I was collecting conservative, consistent, steady cash flow streams, it really didn't matter that much to me about the asset price. If I wasn't going to sell it, what does it really matter? So I went ahead and I moved forward with doing syndication investments. So you fast forward five years later, that would bring us to 2020 in the midst of COVID. My investment portfolio had just about doubled at that point from 2015. Meanwhile, the GP and syndicator had really been sitting on the sidelines. I think they did maybe one or two deals in that time frame. So 
Again, not saying that I'm smart or well-versed, but the point in that story is to decide for yourself what your philosophy is. And there's nothing wrong with sitting and waiting on the sidelines if that's your thing and you're very risk adverse. Or if you're into the dollar cost averaging and just moving forward and riding the wave, then you go with that. So of course, I try to be more conservative than I'm making that sound, but something to think about. So let's talk about how do we get here? How do we get to the so-called everything bubble? So first of all, there's still a lot of pent-up demand since COVID with people being locked down and inside and not really spending and maybe not even investing, maybe sitting on the sidelines to see what happens. So that is starting to come out and unfold. That's how we're seeing inflation is rising simultaneously. There's been an awful lot of government printing, new money, these PPP loans, these unemployment checks, there's been a lot of money pumped into the economy. That money has to go somewhere. A lot of people have chosen to put that either in the stock market or into real estate, which is why we've seen such massive upticks. Well, I should say that's one reason why. We also have all-time low interest rates, the lowest interest rates that we've seen in U.S. history. So that is a stimulus to Encourage people to invest and perhaps take a little more risk. Go put your money somewhere if you can borrow at very low interest rates. And last but not least, we have uh, severe supply chain issues. So this is simply supply and demand. This would explain why rental cars, for example, are up 21% year over year right now. It's simply because when COVID first hit and no one was needing the rental cars, a lot of these agencies offloaded their inventory. And then we had a massive kickback where people started traveling again. They didn't have enough cars, so it shot the prices up. And it's tough to get new cars right now, as you probably know, because of the microchip shortage that we have going on. So that's supply and demand 101. The bottom line is there's a lot of money in the system and that money needs to find a home and a lot of people are chasing yield. So that's buying up asset prices, including real estate, including stocks. We'll get back to the show in a few minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll get some value in learning more about. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Mark your calendars for the best ever conference, February 24th through 26th, back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. You can get 15% off right now with the code BEC15 at besteverconference.com. That's the code BEC15 for 15% off at besteverconference.com. So with that, let's talk a little bit about the stock market. Then we'll talk about real estate. I want to dive in and dissect a little bit about each of these asset classes because they're two of the most common that we have. At least this is a real estate show. And then a lot of people are talking about the stock market. 
So you've got a lot of predictions always in the markets, like a JP Morgan Chase and, and Goldman Sachs, and every year they're putting out their predictions based on their experience. And of course, you have to take any prediction, no matter who it's coming from, with a grain of salt, because the truth is no one really knows. But JP Morgan was pretty dang close on their estimates for 2021 about the stock market and what performance we might see. So their prediction now for 2022 is that things will continue to rise. The stock market will continue to go up. They're predicting somewhere around 8% annualized. On the other hand, there's another school of thought that's worth noting, which is that we have efficient markets, which means when these headlines come out and these news reports come out, that's already priced into the market. But if it's already built in, and things don't pan out as expected, there's a chance the market could actually drop. And instead of seeing a plus eight, we see a minus four, a minus eight, or something like that. Again, I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong. It's just a question for you. Do you believe that everything's priced into the market currently as we see a lot of optimism at this point? Or do you believe that it will just keep rising and rising? Regardless of which side you're on, there are certainly some things that we don't know. We don't know if there's going to be any future government stimulus. Of course, there's a lot of talk about this and there's a lot of proposals, but what actually passes, we don't know. And when that actually happens, we don't know. Also, future interest rate hikes. Again, there's been a lot of talk from the Fed. This is going to happen, but when and how much, we don't know. And as different things come in, different variables and the situation changes, they could also change their forecast as well. So it's something that's just out of our control. And then there's the virus uncertainty. Will there be new variants? What will those look like? Will they be mild? Will they be severe? Hospitalizations, business shutdowns. We just don't know what the political environment looks like and what the health environment looks like moving forward at this point. And then we have unpredictable inflation and supply chain issues. When will all of this clear up? We don't know. Will inflation stay the same or go higher? We really don't know. Again, we have predictions and forecasts, but until the data comes out, we just don't know. And these all have a play in both the stock market and in real estate. And like I always say, when it comes to the stock market, it's really anyone's guess. It always seems to be, in my personal experience, it's 50-50. If I think the Fed's going to speak tomorrow and it's going to be positive, 50-50 chance it goes up or down. I've been wrong just about as much as I've been right, and that has caused me to not have very great returns overall when I've invested in the stock market. So I'm clearly not the expert. I'm just giving you some things to think about for yourself. So take this with a grain of salt, what I'm about to say. This is not a prediction or a forecast, but just me personally, in my own mind, looking forward, I'm saying I don't believe that the markets in general, real estate stocks, no matter what we're talking about, will be as robust as we just saw in 2021. We saw exceptional returns. I think the stock market in general did somewhere in the high 20s, like a 28% annualized return. My real estate portfolio did incredible as I had a lot of sales happen in, in 2021 as things ramped back. I don't predict the same moving forward forward. As I look five years out, maybe even 10 years out, I think a lot of things are priced in the market. I think we are really up there nearing all-time highs. Now, does that mean a bubble and a bust? Not necessarily, in my opinion, but it certainly means that the things have gone up. But see, here's the thing about sustainability. This is something I think about as an investor all the time. Anything I do needs to be sustainable. Any kind of strategy, any kind of philosophy, this is why 
I quit flipping homes at a certain point because I realized this is not sustainable. I could do this while the markets are flat or increasing, but when markets come down, the strategy stops working. Therefore, it's not something I can do for 20, 30, 40, 50 years on end. So the stock market has historically returned between 8 to 10% annualized, depending on if you're looking at the Dow Jones or the S&P or the NASDAQ or whatever index. But basically, it's usually in that range as a historic average. So when you have a year like we just had in 2021, where you have a 28% return in the stock market, there's a very high probability that the following year will not be as high. It may be a flat year. It could be a slight decline in that year. And in fact, we just recently saw this in 2017, the stock market returned somewhere around 21.5%. Don't quote me exactly, but it was something like that. And the following year, which was 2018, was a negative 4% year. So that makes sense because if you're going to average 8 to 10, you're not always going to have these 20 and 30% returns year over year. It's a roller coaster. So if you're going to park all your capital there, be ready to ride. All right, moving on, let's talk a little bit about real estate. So just like the stock market, there's a lot of predictions, just like any prediction, you have to take it with a grain of salt. There's a group called Core Logic, for example, and they predict that housing will increase another 6% in 2022. 6% is still a strong growth, and this is, of course, nationwide, but it's certainly dwindled down from what we just saw in 2021, which I think was closer to about 15% appreciation over the last year. And then you have other sources like Realtor.com believes that the appreciation amount will be closer to 3%, not 6%. One thing to keep in mind when we talk about real estate in a general sense going up 3% or 6% is the fact that most people investing in real estate are using leverage. They're using debt. So the way to look at that in real terms as far as your return on investment is this. To use simple math, because you guys know I'm not very good at math, if you invested in a $100,000 piece of real estate, we'll call it a single family home or a condo, and that went up 6% in one year but you had only put $20,000 down as a down payment, that was your actual investment. You actually invested 20K, and then what did you make? Well, if it appreciated 6%, that's $6,000 that it went up. So, and again, I'm using loose numbers. We're not talking about any taxes or realtor commissions or any of this kind of stuff, but $6,000 divided by $20,000, that's how you find your return, is actually a 30% increase or ROI. So that is actually quite substantial. That's why I say in real estate, if we really did see a 6% tick up, that's actually pretty huge. Another thing to note is that mortgage rates remain historically low. I just mentioned that a few minutes ago. We are literally at the historic lows for the United States. So that's been a huge encouragement for people to get into real estate, both single family, multifamily, mobile home park space, commercial space, self-storage, all the above. And another thing to keep in mind is that real estate is a local game. There are markets, despite these forecasts of 3 to 6%, we'll call it, there are markets like Modesto, California, Kalamazoo, Michigan, or Springfield, Massachusetts, that are actually anticipated to see a decline in housing prices in 2022. So it's not all created equal. We're just talking about a national scale on average. 
to talk a little bit about rents, because a lot of us are investors or landlords here listening to the show. Rents went up about 10% in 2021, which is a huge increase for rents. A lot of the projections that are in these syndications I do are more like 3 and 4% annualized rent bumps. So to see 10 was quite amazing. And the realtor chief economist is predicting 7% rent increase for 2022. If that really occurs, it is just going to be another killer year in general for real estate, especially things like multifamily, because you don't just have one house, one tenant, one rent bump of 7%. You have maybe a 400 unit property, or maybe you're invested in 20 different deals that are 200 to 600 units. That's a lot of rent increase. There's usually a little bit of a lag in rent bumps compared to asset prices, which makes sense, right? Because prices go up and as investors have to pay more, they need to charge more rent to get an adequate cash flow out of the property. No one wants to be investing in real estate for a 1% or 2% return. I shouldn't say nobody because people do it. But in general, you want to keep your ROI up and therefore rents go up. And as I mentioned earlier, the 15% rise in asset prices and real estate over 2021, rents are now following as these properties get rented out. We'll get back to the show in a few minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll get some value in learning more about. How are you doing on your goals this year, whether it's planning for your goals or whether it's executing on those goals? I imagine one of them has to do with financial freedom, taking control of your finances. And I can tell you that is a possibility within the next one to three years using a proven system created by my friend, Michael Blanc. He's got the program Deal Maker Mentoring. Here are some of his students who have been in the program and what they've accomplished. Melanie McDaniel, she closed her first 24-unit joint venture deal and is now pivoting to become full-time in the industry. Within five months of joining, Cheryl Groovy from Atlanta, she had a 34-unit deal under contract and she partnered with two other deal maker mentoring students, and together they raised seven hundred thousand dollars. And Brian Briscoe, he said thanks to deal maker mentoring, he had the opportunity to accelerate his timeline and go after much bigger deals than he would have on his own. If you are ready to commit to achieving your dreams this year, and you've been thinking about getting into multifamily, well, text the word Joe to six six eight six six. Again, that's the word Joe. You know how to spell my name, right? J-O-E to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind, and let's get you started with your own syndication business. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors, and I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate. And follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or or you can follow up with your investors and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners, then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Follow-up boss offers expertise 
experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial, twice the length of the normal trial for a limited time. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. So jumping back to the Fed saying they're going to raise interest rates, what effect will that have on real estate? It's one thing to say that rents are going to grow, et cetera, but if interest rates rise, that's generally a negative thing for real estate. But see, there's other factors at play simultaneously. There's the unknowns that we mentioned with the government and with stimulus and what's inflation going to look like. And then there's also the supply and demand issue, which is a huge factor right now to where asset prices are. Builders just can't keep up. There's just a severe lack of inventory that is pushing prices up. If we had a whole bunch of supply come on the market, that would soften the prices. But if that doesn't clear up over the next year or two, prices will remain high and it will remain a very competitive environment. Real estate's a very slow moving asset class. With the exception of what we saw in 2008, 2009, with it was really the great real estate recession. With the exception of that, if you took that off the radar, real estate's really slow moving. When it trickles up and trickles down, it is not the stock market that real estate's down 30% overnight. That just doesn't happen. So I think as we progress through this data and through the years, we're going to see more and more signs and potentially red flags to talk about to help us make better decisions. Just remember, if you are investing in actual real estate, not publicly traded REITs and things like that, they are generally an illiquid investment. So you've got to do your due diligence. You've got to know what you're buying, how it performs, whether or not you can actually execute the business plan. And hopefully you will remain profitable, even if you bought a property today, did nothing to it, and just decided to hold it for five or 10 years, you would be cash flow positive. All right, so swinging back to inflation real quick, we're somewhere in the ballpark, depending on when this episode airs, where the last data that I just looked at was somewhere around 6.8% annualized inflation year over year. Now, a couple things about that. A, that's the highest inflation we've seen in the U.S. since 1982. So in a lot of people's lifetimes, this is the highest inflation that they've seen. And the Fed has also said that they're going to be reducing their stimulus. This is known as the Fed taper. They're reducing basically their stimulus from injecting about $30 billion per month through the end of March until they're no longer having to supplement what they've been doing since COVID. We mentioned that the Fed said they will have multiple rate hikes. This is to help tackle inflation as inflation starts. That's just one of the tools that the Fed has when inflation starts kicking up is to raise interest rates to help fight that. So that's definitely on their agenda, but every Fed meeting, it seems like there's a little bit of a change. So we just don't know. There's been years that the Fed's come out and said, we're raising rates, and then they didn't, or where they did raise rates, and then they decided right after that to lower rates again. So we just don't know is the bottom line. And the last bullet point I'll point out is that the last Fed meeting that I tuned into, Jerome Powell had said that he anticipates a natural decrease in inflation from the 6.8 that we're seeing now to the mid twos. So to that, I say, we'll see. So here's the takeaways I want you guys to, to have from this episode. 
20 to 30% annualized returns are exceptional, but usually not sustainable year after year. So since we've already seen those in 2021, you may want to lessen your forecast here looking forward. I could be dead wrong. I'm just saying I like to be a little more conservative than that and predict that we will kind of see a softening or stabilization, if you will, of returns. Number two takeaway is that the gurus and the talking heads are projecting increases still happening. Be it the chief realtor economist, the JP Morgan, the Goldman Sachs, a lot of folks are saying that stock market and real estate are still going to be on the rise, just at a much lower and more conservative level than last year. So hopefully that means another great year for investing. At least that's my interpretation of that data. And if anyone is curious or anyone cares what I'm doing personally, I'm still investing heavily in private equity. I believe you should invest in what you know and understand the most and then try to diversify a little bit outside of that. I use the 80-20 rule. 80% of my portfolio is what I know and understand. I invest in value-add, B-class, multifamily properties primarily because they're stabilized. They cash flow. They pay me on a monthly basis. They're tax-advantaged. And from the data that we just uncovered with rents still on the rise and lagging a bit behind, the primary driver of the value of a multifamily property is the net operating income. And when rents go up, that's more collections, that's more income, therefore the price goes up. But I am never a speculator on what the price will be in the future. I'm simply investing for cash flow and for yield. And I like the value-add business model where we're buying at a slight discount. We are improving a property, making it better, making a better community. For what it's worth, that's my take on it. I'm still investing here in 2022. The question is, what are you going to do? So hopefully you guys found some value in this episode. I truly appreciate you tuning in. Reach out anytime with questions, comments, concerns. I'm on Bigger Pockets. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, joefairless.com, Travis at AshcroftCapital.com. I look forward to connecting with you. Have a best ever week, and we'll see you on another episode of the Actively Passive Investing Show.